Psalms 13 tonight, only six verses, and I won't take us long to read it. And then I want to preach to you for a little while on the thought, feeling forgotten. Uh, you know, the truth is, sometimes we all feel forgotten. And the psalmist knows what this experience is and gives us some truths about it this evening. Let's begin in verse number 1. The Word of God says, How long wilt thou forget me, O Lord, forever? How long wilt thou hide thy face from me? How long shall I take counsel in my soul, having sorrow in my heart daily? How long shall mine enemy be exalted over me? Consider and hear me, O Lord my God. Lighten mine eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest mine enemy say, I have prevailed against him, and those that troubled me rejoice when I am moved. But I have trusted in thy mercy. My heart shall rejoice in thy salvation. I will sing unto the Lord, because he hath dealt bountifully with me. Let's pray together. Lord, we do praise you and give you the glory that we're here tonight. Father, there's so many places we could be, but you've shown us mercy in allowing us to gather in your house again. I pray, Father, that you would apply your word through the work of the Holy Spirit to our hearts and lives. And Lord, that whatever need that we have, whether there's some area that must be surrendered, or Father, some uh, encouragement that must be administered, Lord, some will that must be broken. God, you and you alone know what needs to be accomplished. So, Father, we don't take it upon us to do this, but we trust you to do it through the work of the Holy Spirit as he applies Scripture. Lord, we love you tonight. We thank you for Calvary. We thank you for Jesus Christ. And even so come, Lord Jesus, we look forward to the Lord's return. We love you, and we ask all this in Christ's name. Amen. In Psalms chapter 13, the psalmist begins with a question. Uh, as you read through the book of Psalms, some of them give us a little uh, insight into the context of them. Some of them do not. Not all of the Psalms were written by David, but this is a Psalm that was written by David. He's noted that the title that the Lord sort of gives him at his death is the sweet psalmist of Israel. And the book of Psalms is a collection of songs that were uh, mostly meant for public worship. And it's interesting because, you know, I don't know that these are the kind of songs uh, that would build a lot of music programs. Uh, you know, we, uh, I say that tongue-in-cheek, you understand. Me and Brother Kerry, we'll, you know, we'll talk about the choir and stuff. And when he came over, he came over to be a youth pastor, you know. And uh, I, I got him while he was good and excited and eager to serve and got him to commit to being a choir leader too, Amen. Because that's how you do it. I learned that from the church I grew up in. You find somebody that's bright-eyed, bushy-tailed, and don't know how it works yet, and then ask them to cover for just a couple weeks. And you can usually stretch that out into decades. Amen? And uh, so sometimes we'll, you know, we'll talk about uh, music ministry and the things that exhort and build a church. And, you know, I don't, I don't know that very many churches would sing a song that began like this, How long wilt thou forget me, O Lord? But, you know, the beautiful thing about the book of Psalms, it is deeply personal. And though it is divinely inspired, it is inherently human as well. Some have called it the very heartbeat of God. And I, I do see that in the book of Psalms. We get insight into the way that God's heart works. But I also think we get a beautiful portrait of what the human experience is for a believer. You see, you're not going to find any vain platitudes in the book of Psalms but rather you're going to see the, the raw nerve of the human heart as it beats and as it thrives and as it lives and as it feels. And so there's several psalms that have this same tone to them of the trials and plights and difficulties 
of the believer's experience. And the psalmist begins with this question, and we'll read it once more. I, I really, I don't know about you, but it made an impact when I read it. I hope it does for you too. Because imagine David. He, he's written so many beautiful psalms, and there's so many psalms that you can sort of imagine that people love to sit around and sing and talk about. But he cannot deny the questions that he's experiencing and that he's wondering. And he begins with this question. He says, How long wilt thou forget me, O Lord? And then he adds this. He says, Forever. Forever. I don't know about you. I mean, if you came tonight and if you're made of marble and stone and you don't have any problems, then this may not help you this evening. But if you're human and if you're a fallen human being like I am, then you'd probably admit that there may have been some times in your life when you just felt like God forgot about you. Now, we know that God doesn't forget about us. We know that He promised us He'd never leave us nor forsake us. And yet, if your heart is like my heart, I find times when my heart tells me, you know, God's probably just forgot about the difficulty that you're going through. I believe that the accuser takes every opportunity that he can get. Don't you believe that? The accuser of the brethren, our adversary. But I believe, too, that human flesh... And when we speak of human flesh, we mean the carnal and fleshly desires. The natural man, I believe, operates in complete doubt of God. And so I believe there's times when even our heart and our mind would taunt us and tell us that God's forgotten about us. And you may have experienced something like the psalmist has experienced here. In fact, there's three things that he sort of talks about. And, I, and I'll go ahead and tell you, I don't know how this is going to go this evening, but I'm going to give you what God gave me and just trust that it's going to hit hearts in the right way. I want you to notice first off the psalmist's despair. It's interesting that as you look at this psalm, it sort of naturally divides itself in, in three groups of two verses. The first two verses present to us why he feels as though God has forgotten about him. What is it that could make a Christian with all the promises of God that we have? And boy, we have exceedingly great and precious promises, don't we? I mean, it's by these that Peter said we're made partakers of the divine nature. Uh, you couldn't find another God on the history books that's promised as much to his people as our God has. I, I mean, all through the Bible you find the promises of God through and through, and you find every one of them to be yea and amen in Christ Jesus. So what is it that could make this psalmist? You consider the fact that it's David. I mean, if there had ever been anybody that had seen God work in his life, surely it was David that had seen God work. I mean, he had seen God destroy armies. He had seen God deliver him from the hands of giants. He had seen God even operate in chastisement and judgment in supernatural ways. I mean, David is a man that knew God, who was after God's own heart, who had a deep, intimate relationship with Jehovah, and yet he says, Lord, you've forgotten about me. What could cause him to feel that way? Well, I see three things that I want you to notice. I want you to notice, first off, the silence from heaven that he was experiencing. He says this, How long wilt thou hide thy face from me? Now, I, I'm going to go ahead and confess to you that what I know about uh, Semitic languages could uh, barely fill a thimble. But I do understand this, that the language that's being used here, David is using figures of speech that denote this truth, that while he's looking for God, he cannot find Him. 
you know, there's times in our Christian walk, and, and I believe sometimes that it's something God does simply because He's trying to draw us into a greater walk of faith. And then I think there's times in our life when, when maybe we expect things God has never promised us, and we expect an experience that God never said He would give us. But for whatever reason or another, there's times that we feel like our communication with the Lord is lacking. There's times that I've prayed and I immediately knew that I had gotten a hold of God. Has that ever happened to you? There's times when I've prayed, and I listen, I'm not a sensationalist. I mean, I, I'm a cynic to the bone. But there have been times that I've prayed, and I, I don't know how to say it other than just to say that I felt in the very depths of my soul that I connected with heaven and that the throne room of God heard me. I knew God had bent His ear to my cry. One such occasion, we were sitting over at the hospital last week, and uh, Brother Steve Flynn was having surgery, and uh, I really did not know how bad the uh, cancer had, had been, but they had sort of filled me in on it. And they said there's a particular part of his body they're going to have to remove, and they believe it has spread to the lymph nodes around that area. And I said, well, uh, and maybe I should just pray and ask God to take it all away, because God is able. Amen. But uh, I told him, I said, well, here's what I believe we need to ask God for. I believe we need to ask God for a successful surgery and that none of that cancer would have spread to any lymph nodes. And we took a moment, we prayed. It wasn't flowery, it wasn't impressive. They won't print it in books and, and remember it for generations to come. But I tell you that in that moment, I knew that heaven had heard me as I prayed. And it wasn't because of my prayer, it's just because of the goodness of God. And sure enough, they went into surgery and they, they did that surgery with the robot, you know. And that sounds all good and well to them robots rise up to take over. Amen. Somebody give me a witness on that and we're letting them cut on us. But uh, they did it with the robot, and it didn't take much time. And they came out and, and gave us a report. And the doctor said, best as I can tell, it looks like there's no cancer in any of the lymph nodes. And uh, Karen said, well, they did a biopsy, and we'll find out for sure tomorrow. And the next day she texted me, and she said, there's no cancer anywhere. They got every bit of it, and they're sending them home tomorrow. I mean, listen, glory to God for that. That's God did that. I believe God's able to do that. But I could tell in that moment, that God had heard me. Uh, there's been other times, and, and I'm not saying any of these are hard and fast rules. There's times I've prayed and I didn't feel like I got much response from heaven, but God did here. There's been times that I've prayed and really felt like I'd really prayed. You know what I mean? And uh, God answered, but in His own way. But I'm saying merely this, that are, there are times in our Christian walk where we pray and we know that God has heard us, but then there are inexplicable moments when we enter the prayer closet and we pray, and it's like there's a mile of concrete above us. Our prayer closet is dry and it's dead and it's lifeless, and we want to hear from God and we want to know God's mind and we beg God for His mind, but for one reason or another we get silence in return. Sometimes that can make you feel forgotten. And left alone. I think that silence from heaven was one of the reasons. Then notice what he says in verse number 2. He says, How long shall I take counsel in my soul, having sorrow in my heart daily? I thought about that for a little while. You know, sometimes it's easy to, to, to read over the Word of God instead of reading the Word of God. And, uh, you know, I took a moment and I thought about that. And I thought about what David is really saying here. You know what he's saying? He's saying, because I, could get, I couldn't get any counsel from heaven, instead I counseled with my own soul. In other words, he says, I reasoned within myself. I thought about it. I, I worked it out on the inside. And you know what he says the result of? He says, having sorrow in my heart daily. Let me tell you what one of the greatest truths 
that you can ever grasp is, and I really want you to hear what I'm about to say, one of the greatest truths that you can ever grasp is that the wisdom and guidance that you need to live your life does not come from within, it comes from above. It doesn't matter if you feel comfortable with the decision you're making. The question is, is it the will of God? It doesn't matter if it makes sense to you. The question is, is it the will of God? And I think for far too often, you know what we've done? We've leaned unto our own understanding. And we just work it out in our own mind and we try to figure it out and we try to make the best, most reasonable decision and then we wonder why our life is a mess. The psalmist says that I prayed, I tried to find the mind and the face of God and the will of God and I begged God for the truth about this and I could get no truth. So instead of waiting, I began to counsel with myself and it led me to sorrow. I've always laughed in in the short time that I was a youth pastor. It amazes me. The only people in the world that value the opinion of a 15-year-old is another 15-year-old. Am I right? But a 15-year-old will value the opinion of another 15-year-old over the opinion of anybody. And uh, when I would talk to teenagers, and and that's true of 14-year-olds too, I don't know if you knew that, but but that's true of any young people. And, And when I would talk to young people, and they would talk about the problems that they were going through. They would talk about the wisdom, the, the, the great advice from their friends. And they'd say, but so-and-so said this. And I, I didn't say it because I'm a nice person. But I, I always wanted to say, well, they're just as dumb as you. Don't listen to them. You know, one of the worst things you can ever do is take your own advice for something. And oftentimes, we show a great deal of confidence in our own wisdom and our own reasoning. But let me tell you something. When it comes to the will of God, it's not something that has to be reasoned. It has to be revealed. And God has to show it to us and give us that wisdom. And David says that with hearing no counsel from heaven, I asked my own self and it led me to sorrow. One of the darkest places you can go in a time of despair is in those dark recesses of the heart where you let your mind and your imagination run wild and you allow your flesh and your own sense of logic to take over. That can lead you to a dark, dark place. He says, I feel forgotten. But then notice the next phrase. I think not only the silence from heaven and the sorrow of heart, but I think the shame from the heathen that he was experiencing. He says, how long shall mine enemy be exalted over me? Now, there's a lot of ways we can understand that when you're talking about a man of war like David. Maybe David was talking about the Philistines, but I don't think he was. Maybe David was talking about one of the other uh, world uh, leaders and nations at that time. I mean, maybe he was talking about uh, one of these other armies or possibly even the Edomites or uh, people like that. And he, he thought his enemy was exalted above him. But, you know, I don't think so because David did not say, "mine enemies... He said, my enemy, singular. Now, no matter what David meant by that, we understand this truth, that in the day that we're living in, you and I, we're not fighting the Philistines, and we're not fighting the the Edomites, but we do have an enemy, and we do have an adversary that walketh about as a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. And, you know, oftentimes in those moments of despair, when it feels as though there's something dry and dead about our Christian walk, when we feel as though our circumstances are inexplicable and things have taken a turn that we never could have expected, it's in those moments that often that old lion will begin to prowl about and snarl and roar and taunt us. And the devil finds opportunity to be the accuser of the brethren, and to be our adversary. Sometimes you feel sort of alone in those times. 
I was talking to someone just a few moments ago. We were talking about satanic oppression in, in our lives, and we all go through things like that. And listen, if you don't believe in satanic oppression, then you're the exact person that Satan's looking for. Because I believe it's a real thing. And oftentimes in those moments and in those times when Satan is uh, grappling for a foothold in our lives, maybe we've got a loved one that we care about and we see uh, Satan trying to destroy uh, that loved one's life. I I got a text from a preacher uh, just uh, two days ago and he told me, he said, Brother Toby, I need you to pray for my son. And he gave his name. He said, my son... He's 21 years old and he got saved in a revival a few weeks ago. And right after he got saved, he said that a a married woman began to chase after my son, my 21-year-old son. He said, I talked to the pastor of this woman and that uh, woman's own pastor said that she's wicked and that she'll destroy his life. He said, I've already talked to the deacons. I'm willing to resign if I need to. But he said, the main thing is I hate to see my son throw his life away. And he said to me, he said, Brother Toby, I just don't understand how something like that could come out of a revival. Do you remember shock and awe warfare? Do you remember that? Just about everybody in this room should. When our military would go into an area and the whole purpose was to show sheer brute force and strength to cower the enemy into submission. Did you know sometimes Satan practices shock and awe warfare? Sometimes it's, it's not that he's really trying to destroy your life. It's that he's trying to break your heart into so many pieces it can never be put back together. And sometimes he's trying to flex his muscle and make himself seem so intimidating that we merely cower away from serving God. And we say, if being faithful to church is going to bring this kind of heartache, then I won't go. If reading my Bible is going to make me this much of a target in spiritual warfare, then I just won't do it. If being in the prayer closet is going to bring on this kind of pain into my life, then I just won't do it. I'll throw my hands up and I'll quit. Oftentimes in those times, because God is allowing the enemy to exalt himself so that God might be all the more powerful when he destroys him. Because you know God does that. You understand that, right? That's what God did with Pharaoh in the Old Testament. That's what the book of Romans is teaching us, is that he allowed Pharaoh and the Egyptians to be exalted to a great place of power and of glory so that he could show his own might and power and glory when he brought them to their knees. In those moments when the oppressor seems to be winning, oftentimes we feel as though we're alone. The psalmist says, these things in my life have led me to believe that God has forgotten about me. And he says, this is what I'm asking God for. He turns the psalm to a prayer, and he begins to talk to the Lord. In verse number 3, he says, Consider and hear me, O Lord my God. Lighten mine eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest mine enemies say I have prevailed against him, and those that trouble me rejoice When I am moved, we see the psalmist's despair, but we see his desire. What did he want from God? And you say, preacher, how will this exhort me? Well, I hope this is what you want from God. Let me tell you something. One of the things that Satan tries to do when we're in in times of, of despair and trial is make us feel like we're alone and that nobody else feels the way we feel and that there's something wrong with us for feeling the way that we feel. Let me tell you something. He's still more subtle than any beast of the field. And he knows what he's doing. And he wants to isolate us emotionally and psychologically and spiritually if he can. 
And the psalmist begins to pray, and he asks God for three things. Notice, first off, he asks God for communication. He says, Consider and hear me, O Lord my God. He begins with his prayer. Now think of the unique dynamic of this. He, he says, God, I'm going to pray and ask you to hear my prayer. Does that not denote something? Why would he pray and ask God to hear his prayer if he thought God couldn't hear his prayer in the first place? That tells you something. That tells you that he knew in his heart of hearts that God could hear his prayer. You know, sometimes you wouldn't believe this, but do you know that sometimes your heart doesn't tell the truth? Your heart doesn't always tell the truth. I see churches all the time that'll have signs of, and, and I don't, you know, I mean, we, Brother Richard does our signs. He does a good job, and he's a smart individual. And uh, I, I don't know why it is, Brother Richard, but some people, the people they put, some churches I'll have the church signs took away. Amen? Everybody knows. If you've been around here, you know that's a pet peeve of mine. And I appreciate the sign that Brother Richard just put up. I like it. I like Scripture. Amen? You'll never go wrong putting Scripture up. Amen? And uh, I, you see church signs all the time that will say, you know, they'll say, just follow your heart. Just follow your heart. I heard someone say the other day, someone that professed to be a Christian, they said, well, just follow your heart about this matter. Now, is that scriptural? The Bible says that the heart is desperately wicked and deceitful above all things, and who can know it? Your heart doesn't always tell the truth. In fact, there's times that your heart can be your very worst enemy. And the psalmist See, in his heart of hearts, he feels like God doesn't hear him. But Scripture says otherwise. And so you know what he does? He dismisses the inclination of his heart, and he prays, even though his heart tells him God won't hear. His heart tells him that God isn't listening. His heart tells him that God's forgotten about him. But the Scriptures say that God will never leave us nor forsake us. And the psalmist says, I'll just trust Scripture. And he prays, and he asks God to hear him. He asked an open line of communication. Let me tell you something. When your prayer life is right, everything else will be right. Your scripture life can be right and areas of your life be wrong. Your church life can be right and other areas of your life be wrong. But if you'll fix your prayer life, everything will be right. And so he begins to pray. He asks God for communication. Look at the end of verse number 3. He says this, Lighten mine eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. He asks for illumination. He says, Lord, I need light in this dark place that I'm in. In other words, he's saying, God, I need to understand a little bit of what I'm going through. I believe that's one of the greatest helps that we can get. And I've shared this with you before, but I believe I'll say it again anyway. Amen. Uh, that If you look at the life of Job and the trials that Job went through, Job's chiefest complaint was not the boils, it wasn't the bankruptcy, it wasn't even the death of his children. His chief complaint was that he couldn't find God in all of it. And he talked about that if he could, if he could find God and he would uh, give his judgment forth unto him and make his complaint unto the Lord. But he said, I go to my right hand and I can't find him. And I go to my left hand and he's not there. And everywhere that I look on every hand, I beg for God. I plead for God. I cry unto God. And I just can't find God anywhere. He says, in this darkness, it's too much for me. Paul, when he was afflicted with his thorn in the flesh. He asked God to take it away three times. And you can believe what you want, but I don't, I don't just believe that means Paul prayed for it three times. I believe that means that it went on and off his prayer list three separate times. 
In other words, three seasons of prayer. Three times when he began to really pray and beg God to take it away. And then in some way he got some peace. Or in some way he merely gave up. But three separate occasions in his life he prayed and asked God to take it away. And the Lord says this to him. says, No, Paul, my strength is made perfect in weakness. My grace is sufficient for thee. Paul then says this, I will therefore glory in mine infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Now, that's not the man that was asking God to take it away just a few verses earlier. What changed? What changed? God didn't take it away. He was in. If you believe what I believe, I believe it was a health malady. You don't have to believe that, but I believe that. He was no healthier. His condition, his circumstances had not changed. He was still struggling with the same thing. And yet now this man says, I'll glory in that. What changed? The thing that changed is God illuminated him about some things. And he said, Paul, the reason that this is in your life is so that my power can rest upon you. Paul, the reason this is in your life, I had to weaken your strength because my strength is made perfect in weakness, Paul. My grace is sufficient for thee. This isn't going to bury you, Paul. This is going to exalt you in the ministry and the work of the Lord. This is to facilitate your service of me. And nothing had changed for Paul. But he says, once I knew that God had a purpose and a plan in it, I could glory in. Oftentimes when we're going through darkness and difficult times, if we just knew that it was of God, we could handle it a little bit better. He asked God for illumination. But then look at verse number 4. He asked God for vindication. He says, Lest mine enemies say I prevailed against him, and those that trouble me rejoice when I am moved. Now, I don't know about you, but I, I, I believe as I read the book of Psalms, I don't believe David is saying this because he, he, he wants his reputation protected. I don't believe that's what David's concerned about. I, I don't think David is concerned with people thinking that he lost out somehow. I think David's great and grand concern was the testimony of the Lord God Jehovah in his life. He had made no secret. He said, the battle's the Lord's. It belongs to him. David understood that anything in his life that was worth having and worth noting and worth talking about, it had been the Lord and it hadn't been himself. And I think that David keyed in on an important truth in the book of Psalms. And that important truth was this. God's glory is more important than your reputation. I, you know, I, I've heard people talk about their great reputation. When you're a pastor, man, you hear, you hear all kinds of things and... and you know, you get around other pastors and they'll talk about the conferences they've been in and the places they've preached and all the things. And I understand, I mean, it's exciting, you know, to get to minister to large groups of people. And that's wonderful. I remember hearing a preacher say one time, he said, well, good for you. You've got a great reputation. The Lord Jesus made himself of no reputation. Your reputation doesn't mean much. You say, but what about my testimony? Ah, there's the difference. You see, when you talk about reputation, you're worried about how it reflects on you. When you talk about testimony, you're worried about how it reflects on God. And David says, I don't want my enemy to say he's prevailed against me. I don't want those that trouble me to say that they've won, not because I'm anything, but because you're everything, Lord, and I want you to gain glory out of my life. Well, what's he going to do? He's asked God for these three things, for communication, illumination, and vindication. He's asked God essentially to hear his prayer, to show up, to explain things, and to deliver him. What's he going to do? As we come to the end of this psalm, 
we notice that his circumstances have not changed, but his spirit has. And, you know, here's the, here's the truth. You can't change, you can't control your circumstances, but you can control your spirit. You can't control uh, the, the context of your life, but you can control the attitude that you meet it with. And so he changes what he can change. He changes himself. You might find that while you're waiting for God to change your circumstances, he's waiting for you to change your attitude. And you might find that the thing that God's trying to do is not even an external thing. It's an internal thing in you. And the external is just the byproduct. And you might find out this truth, that what God's trying to do within you spiritually is far more important than what's taking place outside of you temporally. And so the psalmist makes a determination about some things. Nothing changes by the end, but he says there's some things I've made up my mind about. And so these I'm going to stick to. And I want you to listen carefully. If you're in this circumstance or if you've dealt with this or maybe, you know, sometimes, you, I don't know if you know this, but do you know God knows what's going to happen tomorrow? Do you know that? You might be sitting here thinking, this ain't for me. Well, it might be before the week is out. And so I want you to listen to these next three things very carefully and then we're going to close. He was determined about some things. Notice the resolve that he exhibited. He said this, but I have trusted in thy mercy. You know what he's saying? He's saying, I know I've done the right thing. He says, I know I've not made a mistake. I know I've not messed up in trusting the Lord. You know, one of the first questions we begin to ask ourselves in our lives when something goes wrong is, what have I done wrong? How have I sinned? That's, that's one of the reasons old preachers used to talk about keeping short accounts with God. And that's part of the reason that's a good thing. If you do something wrong, go ahead and ask God's forgiveness of it. Go ahead and ask God's forgiveness of it. But there's no one more bold than a person with a clear conscience. I mean, they're bold as a lion, the Bible says. And so, when you come to these times, just ensure this, that you're trusting in the Lord and not in yourself and not in anyone else. Because those that trust in the Lord, the psalmist said, shall not be confounded. If you know you've trusted in God, you know you've done the right thing. He said, what do I do, preacher? Well, commit it to the Lord, first and foremost. Come to the Lord and say, Lord, if I've sinned, if I've done anything wrong, bring it to my mind. If you know of something you've done wrong, ask God's forgiveness. Ask Him to take it away from you and make sure you're on praying ground with God and there's nothing between you and Him. And then you can peacefully resolve and resign yourself in what He's done for you. You know you've made the right decision when you've trusted God. If anybody tells you you've made the wrong decision in trusting God, they're wrong. You know you've made the right decision in trusting God. Notice not only to resolve, but to rejoice. Look at the next phrase. He says, My heart shall rejoice in thy salvation. Now, you understand, don't you, that the word salvation in the Bible is multifaceted. I mean, there's times that it's talking about the redemption of, of the sinner. But there's times that it's talking about a, a multitude of things. And, and I don't think that David is saying here that I am a believer in Jehovah and that's what I'm trusting in. Now, you could say that and that's wonderful. But I think what he's saying is this. I'm trusting that God's going to save me. Not redemption of the sinner, but deliverance in his life. And he's saying, I'm trusting that God will deliver in this particular situation. And he says, I'm going to go ahead and praise him. Let me tell you something. God, God keeps all of his promises. 
And, you know, I, I was, one of the things they always want to know, if you ever go to buy a house, if you ever go to buy a car, I mean, if you sign up for a car to rent videos, they want to know what? They want a credit report. Am I right? It don't matter what you go to do. They want to know your credit. You know why? They want to know if you're trustworthy. They want to know if you pay your bills. I remember when I was uh, getting my house one time that, uh, I say one time, I mean, I, I guess it was when we were getting this last house. One of the places that ran our credit, you know, they were 800 places. They say that hurts your credit, and then they run your credit about 9,000 times. That's why ain't nobody in this country got credit, amen, because they won't quit running it. And uh, when they were running my credit, uh, one of the places said, uh, Mr. Weber, you have a thin account. And I said, really? Because... Lately, I haven't felt like it's a very thin account. They said, no, 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 you misunderstand. You have good credit score, but you, you haven't bought a lot of stuff on credit. And I said, yeah, that's why I've got a good credit score, because <laughs> I, I don't buy a lot of stuff on credit. They said, well, we just need to have a little bit more information. You need to have more of a credit history. I said, I'm 27. What else can I buy? And they said, well, be that as it may, you have a little bit of a thin credit score. You know what they were saying? They were saying, not only do we need to know you can pay your bills, but we need to know there's been a lot of occasions where you've paid bills. Can I ask you something tonight? Does God have a good credit score in your life? I know He does in mine. I mean, it's not just once or twice that I can see that God made good on His promises. I can tell you time and time and time and time again. I'm just 27, but he's the ancient of days. And there's never been a single promise he's made that he's broken. You know, you know how the Bible says it about Sarah? It says that she counted him faithful. She counted him faithful. She ran God's credit score. Found out that it was, I don't know, it, it, wasn't, it, wasn't just, it was 2,800. It wasn't even 800, amen? I mean, she ran it and found out that God's faithful. And he keeps his promises. I'd say this. I'd say we wouldn't be hurting to go ahead and praise God for what he's not even yet done. I'd say we wouldn't be hurting to go ahead and believe that God is going to come through and rejoice and appraise him for what he has done and what he will do. And then notice the final thing. How are you going to do that? Well, and we sort of already touched on it, so I won't dwell on it. But the psalmist determines to remember. Look at verse number 6. He says, I will sing unto the Lord because he hath dealt bountifully with me. One thing you can mark down in your life is that as you look back, you have plenty to praise God for. Me and Brother Ron were talking before the service started, and I asked him how he was doing. He said, man, I, I'm blessed. I've got nothing to complain about. He said, you won't find anybody that's more blessed than me and less deserving of it. And I said, well, that's true, Brother Ron, except maybe me. And that really ought to be the attitude of every single born-again believer. I am so undeserving of God's blessings, but that, I'm glad that they're by grace and not by my merit or not by my works. And so if God does things based upon His goodness and not my goodness or your goodness, and He's just as good today as He's ever been, then why would we think He wouldn't be just as faithful today as He's always been? You see, if he was doing it based upon our good works, he might be scraping the bottom of the barrel of what he's not paid back. But based upon his good works and his graciousness and his love and his compassion and his faithfulness, I'd say that the riches in Christ Jesus are unsearchable and inexhaustible. 
And so we know this, that when there's times, listen, that we struggle praising Him because of our circumstances, if we'll just remember how good He is, we won't struggle praising Him. And we can go ahead and praise Him on things He's not even done yet because we know He's going to come through. Say, preacher, I felt alone. Well, just remember that even when you feel alone, the promises of God are still true. Even when you don't understand, the promises of God are still true. And make up your mind tonight, if you're going through a difficult time, that you're going to trust God. Trust to His mercy through this situation. And I believe we can guarantee that God's going to come through for you. He always does.